There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And welcome to Security Insecure, hosted by Johnny Seifert. This is the Celebrity Mental Health Podcast, where I say it's okay to not be okay. And if you have the same mantra as me, then whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening, then please do me a favor. If you think it's okay to not be okay, subscribe to Security Insecure, where you're listening or watching. Leave a five-star rating, leave a review, and let's keep spreading the word, it's okay to not be okay. Now, let me tell you about my guest today. My guest today has been on the showbiz circuit for years, interviewing your favourite stars of the small screen, being on the Good Morning Britain debate circuit, and being the man behind one of the best PR agencies I love working with, East of Eden. However, whilst on the surface, he shows the journey he's been going on is the right one. Behind the scenes has been another journey in the state of play. As age 14, he found out he was adopted. And so with National Adoption Week happening this week, I'm delighted to welcome two Skins, my old friend. It's Nick Eid. Hello, mate. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, do you know what? It's a weird thing because we've both been in each other's worlds for about eight years now, and it's the first time we've actually put a lot of this on record, which is quite a first for us. I know. The thing is, I think, I suppose, because of the world that we live in, we feel that we see each other all the time. We know what each other's doing, but you actually... And then also, in some ways, which which I love about this podcast, is that it's quite superficial, the world that we live in, but actually there's so many things that are going underneath that people don't really look at. You know, I look at myself as a very glamorous swan, but down under beneath, my feet are really paddling very hard and kind of keep up there with everybody and mentally as well. Do you know what's really funny about that analogy? I use it all the time. And the reason I know that phrase is because your really good friend came up with it, told me it, told you it, and now we're both repeating it. It's dear Andrew McLean, who's been on this podcast before. She loves that phrase about being a swan he does. Well, and that is so true. Andrea and I have known each other since I got my first sort of big break on Lorraine Kelly. I hope I was on that for five years and she was doing the weather on GMTV at the time. And she and I used to, after every show, used to go and have a drink of coffee, of course. It was very early. But uh, we just became really good friends from then onwards. And we still are best friends. I absolutely love her. And I brought her in to talk radio years ago. And I remember the first radio show we did, and we did a load of pilots and we did this radio show. 
And after she came off air, and she was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. After she came off air, and she goes, I felt like a swan. I was gliding on top and I was flapping on the face like no one would have noticed. And I love the fact that I obviously have watched your and Andrew's journey ever since. But I love the fact that you came straight in with that analogy. And that's exactly what I know. Oh, yeah. So it all comes around. That show is one. It's a small, small world, my friend. So look, you're here today to talk about National Adoption Week. And this is really interesting. And as you said at the top, you know, it's interesting because when you know people and when you watch everyone on social media and you interact with each other, you don't really ever know what's really going on behind the scenes. Everything's a darling and mate. Everything's all happy go lucky. There's another story to you, Nick. And this is why I think for me personally, knowing you for so long, it's like I'm seeing you in a new light already and, and more. So talk to me about your upbringing and how it led to being age 14 when you found out that you were adopted. So just that first 14 years of life, if that's okay. Well, my, you know, my first 14 years of life were really good. My father was a, a very eminent scientist. So we traveled around the world a lot. I went to public school in Edinburgh and the same one actually, funny enough, as Nikki Campbell went to, who is the host of Long Lost Family. We'll come to that a bit later, but uh uh, you know, it was a great upbringing. My mum was very theatrical. She'd been a performer. My father was a scientist. I was very artistic. I wasn't particularly academic. I hated sports. I always felt like an outsider, even before actually I found out I was adopted. Uh, I've got a brother who's an older brother, looked very different, blonde, blue eyes and dark hair. Well, grey hair now and, and dark eyes. And was he um, born to your no, he wasn't. He was adopted too. So we we didn't know anything about any of that until I was 14 and my brother was 16. And we were told in Brighton round a, um, a, a dining table that we were adopted. So your mum and dad adopted two children. What had gone on with their conceiving that led them to the adoption process? Well, interesting enough, I mean, it's it, I mean, this is interesting. My 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 dad was from Brighton, so my parents used to go there in the summer. And they had, uh, they both got jaundice from bad shellfish. And when you have that, sometimes you can become infertile. And unfortunately, that was what happened to both my mum and dad. They both got very, very sick from it. And they both uh, became unfertile, unfortunately. And they toyed, I think, a long time about having children. They were a little bit older than most of the parents were. And in those days, you know, uh, adoption was still quite a difficult thing to do. And also, you know, the, the process was it was pretty hard. And now I've gone through a lot more of learning about it. I've seen how difficult it must have been. I understand what a, a special thing it was for us to be in their lives. Well, this is uh, something really interesting because I love the books by Kathy Glass, Casey Watts and Louise Allen that focus on kids in foster care. And also they've gone through the adoption process or they've got kids in care who have then been adopted. I don't know if you're aware of their books, um, mm -hmm. but amazing stories. And the, the the point being that it's a long process and it's not the fact of going to the equivalent of Toys R Us, Babies R Us, that you go and pick up a baby off a shelf and that's it. What's interesting when it comes to adoption is sometimes there's a lot of hate towards your adopted parents when you find out you're adopted. And yet there's a whole journey that they've been through to get there. And there's a weird kind of tectonic plate movement of that hatred, but that love. And they just wanted something to love. And then they don't want your hate. And yet there's this secret that's kind of mending around. So when you found out you were adopted, in retrospect, when you look at those first 14 years, the love they gave you, the love, the affection they showed you, did that get more highlighted to you of they did their best or did it actually go the other way? And did you almost turn against them for that? I never turned against them. I never did. I actually saw it as a very special thing that there was that they had 
you know, really been there to care for me and that they had nurtured both me and my brother and that we were quite special, to be honest. That's how I, I felt. And we are very precious to them because we were, you know, we were adopted to a couple who couldn't have children. So to bring that into their lives and to be the children that we grew up to be was, I think, a very special thing. I didn't have any hatred in any way. You know, the only thing that I really lost, actually, which is really interesting, Johnny, is I was very religious when I was at school. I was the head of scripture union camp. I was very, you know, I was just, you know, quite religious. And when my when I did find out, I lost all my faith in God. I lost all my faith completely. And I really devoted my time and my energy to loving my mum and dad even more than I actually thought I could because I felt that they had done something very special to to look after and nurture me and my brother. Which is interesting because one would think if you've got that religious attitude to yourself and I know at 14 years old you wouldn't be able to think as you would now but at our ages you would go you know everything happens for a reason if it wasn't for my adopted parents I wouldn't have had the life that I've got I might not even be alive and yet you would be going, thank you, God, thank you for actually giving me a chance. And yet you went the other way. I went the other way and I said, God, why didn't you tell me? I thought that I could put all my faith in you and you would be a guiding light and show me the right and wrongs of this world. And you didn't tell me this huge, big thing. That's maybe a pretty immature mind in that respect. But unfortunately, you were 14 years old. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, it's a difficult time. You know, I told my friends at school that I was adopted and and. I was labelled a liar, you know, really was labelled as a fantasist and a liar because everybody said, well, you look like your mother and your brother looks like your dad. So, you you know, we, what, why is it so late that you're telling us that you're adopted? So it was a really difficult time. I thought that you just tell somebody I'm adopted and it'd be like, ah, oh, amazing. But it, is, it wasn't like that. And kids were obviously asking their mums and dads. And their mums and dads were probably going, oh, no, he's not, because my parents hadn't imparted that information. So... Yeah, it opened up a really weird can of worms that made me feel quite insecure. And I think I've talked about this a lot, which is imposter syndrome. And that was really when that kicked in very quickly. Well, there's three elements there. There's the adoption, (laughs) there's the coming out journey, and there's the imposter syndrome and how that overcompensates everything. So it's almost like, well, hey, I'm adopted and hey, I'm gay and hey, I'm still here. You know, look at me, look at me. And it's almost like the boy who cried wolf. But just before we get to that stage, I just want to know why at 14 did did this all happen, this conversation? What was the pinnacle moment for your parents that went, we've got to tell the two boys now something's different about them? I think that obviously you're reaching puberty. You're probably asking more questions about stuff anyway. I think, you know, I think for my parents, they didn't know when was a good time, but they knew they should do it. I mean, obviously now one of the big things when you read about Adoption Week, which you were talking about, is that now uh, children who are adopted really go on a journey from day one where they're told about their adopted parents or their birth parents. And hopefully they have information that they can have and they understand a lot more. For us and for my parents, I just think it was a difficult situation, a difficult thing to articulate. And there was never a good time or never a bad time. So it happened to be when I was 14 and my brother was 16. Do I think it was too late? With hindsight, yes, I do. But you know what? Has it changed me? No, it hasn't. So I just have to deal with it. I can't change that now. A lot of people who go through the care system are given kind of memory boxes so that they've got these stories to go through. So if you're moving from foster home to foster home so you don't forget your foster parents, here's the box that's got those memories in. But 
it's interesting at 14 years old, I get your brother at 16 when he kind of knows himself, but those years of puberty between 12 and 16, when you don't really know yourself, I just wonder if it had done a bit more damage to you than if you were 16 and you knew yourself and you were a bit more independent and you could have gone and searched for your own answer. My mum died when I was 23 and that was probably, you know, a huge issue for me. So I've, I've been through these weird periods of trauma, which... I probably only really in the last few years have really understood what those would be. At the time, you know, it would literally was, I just kind of lost my identity, but found my identity and had to create my identity because my, you know, everything would be pulled, you know, my, from, from under me, you know, you look at your mother and you're like, what, so your eyes aren't my eyes and your hair isn't my, you know, what? It's crazy to go through. So yeah, I think, Potentially, if I'd been told maybe later that my brother was, it wouldn't affect me. Jared, my brother hasn't been affected at all by a very, very different character. Maybe that's nature over nurture. But, you know, I, I suspect a 14 year old being told at that time does make a, a big difference. Well, it's interesting when you look at you now and, you know, a massive PR agent, a PR to the stars and the the amazing charity work that you do, as well as being a face on TV when it comes to things like fashion, which is a very big niche, and also your celebrity interviews, etc., is there's a lot of encompassment of kind of look at me, look what I'm doing, that I don't need to please anyone else, but also I almost need validation from everyone. Because you've got your finger in a lot of pies, my friend, in a very good way. And obviously, from a financial perspective, a brand perspective, it's incredible, but... It does seem, if you look at this journey that you've been on, there probably is a bit of that imposter syndrome of I've got to feel validated by lots of people because I don't really know the true identity of me now that I don't know who I really am and what my actual, you know, my genes are. Yeah, well, you know, now obviously I do know my genes, which is obviously we'll go on to that bit later. But I do, I think, I think... You know, it, it, it's I've always been a, I've always been a show off and I was always a show off and I always wanted to be a star, like really from literally, you know, I was like, I wanted tap shoes when I was 11. You know, I loved all that because I'd never any good at it, but at least I had some, <laughs> um, you know, I went to drama school. I went, you know, I've done it. I've done it. You know, that was all I wanted to do because I love performing and I love acting and I loved all that side of things. And and the reason I got into sort of the sort of the public eye was really because when I was doing all my charity work when my mum passed away I was very frustrated because I was like oh my god I just want to open more doors up and I thought well if I actually get a name for myself I'll be able to open doors and that's really been the sort of fuel that's fired that flame literally for the last you know nearly 30 years and it and it's worked really well and I've been very lucky and sometimes you know people say jack of all trades and master of none i'm like no i'm a master of these trades i love doing them all and i really enjoy them and if i was bad at it i'd give them up but actually do you know what all of them are doing well i'm not offending anybody i'm doing a good job and i'm i i know what i'm doing so i'll stick doing those and also it's hustling british people especially have been kind of like told that sort of hustling is is kind of a bit negative and wrong one thing will pigeonhole you and put you in that way you know if you look at people in America they'll do everything you know my friend his first name drop of the of the podcast but Eva Longoria you know a great friend of mine but you know what's great about her she's an actress a producer a writer a mother an entrepreneur she is all those things and nobody turns around and goes oh you're doing too many things you know, only here we kind of feel that because people want to desperately pigeonhole you. Like, are you a PR guy? But you're also on Project Catwalk or are you an expert? You know, you're like, 
I can be all those things because you know what? A GP can actually tell you if you've got a problem with your ears, but also can tell you if you've got a problem with your lungs. So you know what? You can do this. You can do all that, but in a more glamorous way, of course. That's a very nice analogy, though. I like that about thoughts. I've never thought of it like that. Because it's interesting. When you are a brand expert or a PR or a presenter, you always think about your introduction to that person. And you'll always go with, and we know the way the tabloids work, but it'll be, you know, Strictly legend, EastEnders yeah. icon. And you're like, you're being based on one TV show. Even if you're on that show for three weeks, 20 years ago, if that was the biggest show, that's how you're always going to be pigeonholed. You mentioned, obviously, about your coming out journey a little bit we spoke about. Can we go back to how that impacted you? How old were you when you realised that you were gay? I never came out to my mum. I mean, she obviously knew, but I was 23 when she passed away and she was 65. And I had never, I didn't tell her. And I only told my dad when I was... 24. I mean, I knew when I was at drama school, so I was 19, that I kind of obviously liked boys. I was engaged to get married for a while. I was, you know, I was having relationships with girls. I never kissed a, a boy until I was 19, 20. Uh, so I kind of was a bit of a late bloomer. Again, I think if it was nowadays, it'd be very different. But um, I didn't really sexuality and identity didn't really come into it until a bit later for me I just wanted to kind of get on with life really and I I loved everybody and I you know genuinely you you, you know this about me I genuinely really like everyone and I like people's company so I didn't ever particularly see people in a kind of relationship point of view I just liked them obviously as I got older you know, I got engaged when I was, what, I was 20, nearly 22, to a, a girl who was a really great friend of mine now. Um, but, you know, I kind of knew something was up then. And then, obviously, now I'm married, very happily married, and that's how it is. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical. Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's bring all these journeys together then of that moment that you found out you were adopted, 14 years old, you hadn't come out yet, but there's a lot of insecurity still in your mind. Where do we get to to finding out who your birth parents actually are? We get to two years ago. 36 years it took you to find your... It took you 36 years to decide to go and find your birth parents. Why now? And what was the journey that you went on to get there, my friend? Well, you know, it was, it's interesting. It was lockdown and my husband and I were bored and we decided (laughs) to do one of those DNA tests just for a a laugh. And we got it sent in the post, spat in the, you know, the Petri dish and and sent it back. And then obviously it comes up as an app and gives that information. And for him, it was very bog standard Middle England. And that was it was for me, it was Italian and Scottish, bit of English and then suddenly you get all these people on the app kind of getting in touch with you. And they were people from Australia. And I was like, what, what, what's this going on here? And so I realized I was half Italian, half English, basically half English, half British. And then I kind of parked it for a bit. My mum and dad were my mother and father, you know, they are my heart and soul and they're who I love and et cetera. And I never really thought about it. And then I, I kind of began to think about it a little bit more. I spoke to my agent actually, and she said to me, why don't you try long lost family? You know, why don't you think about doing that? And I thought, okay. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Here's a chance for me to go on to TV. Oh, I wonder, should I do that? How, how's, that uh, how's it looking at the moment? Well, no, no. Actually, actually, I'll tell you something quite interesting is one of my friends said to me, and it's very, very true. If you're looking for a new property in the sun, you go on a place in the sun because they're going to find you the best place. Yeah. So if you're going to find somebody who's going to get you find your family for you, you might as well do it with with long lost family because they, the duty of care, I wouldn't know where to start. Literally, I would not know where to start. And did I have the energy to do it in lockdown? I don't know if I did, but actually knowing that Nikki Campbell had been at my school and knowing, you know, the integrity of that show uh, and understanding what it goes through, I thought actually, now that I am getting to 50, now my father and my mother are both passed away, I feel that actually it would be really good for my for my soul to finish this 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 book of life and know and find out a bit more. So I did it and the people who from the show are absolutely amazing. You know, it was very difficult because all of the government places were closed during lockdown. So everything from finding my birth certificate through to, you know, all of that information was very hard to get. But they obtained it all and they found my birth family. So my they found my mother and they found and half brother and a half sister. Did you go to the grave of your parents to almost seek permission for it? Did you feel any guilt about it? Johnny, I have not felt such guilt guilt probably in my life that I have felt for the last two years 
it has crippled me mentally, physically. I've suffered terribly mentally because of it, because of the guilt that I felt. um, And I've asked permission from my, obviously my brother. I've asked permission from my godmother. I've asked permission from my dead mother and father. You know, there's been a lot mental, and this is, you know, interesting for you to hear this because you know people think oh it's Nick he's having fun he's coming out of his his um you know his lift dressed as Elsa from Frozen having a laugh oh god those videos videos I'm scarred they've come back I know they won't listen they scarred me they scarred my husband I'm surprised he's still with me but they were they were they were a cover there's a validation they were yeah they were a real cover for me to kind of I don't know I was trying to escape because I was going on a massive journey and I didn't know when that where that journey would take me but where that journey has taken me is that I have the most amazing birth mother the most fantastic sister half sister and half brother and I can't be I wouldn't be happier and this is it's just a a blessing it's amazing to have such a lovely, happy ending. But oh in the middle of that, when you're doing it for a TV show, especially, and especially when you've done a lot of TV in the past, and especially when we know the way TV works, and Long Lost Family is one of those shows that's always going to come from the heart, and it's not a clickbait show. But you've got your brand to uphold, and it could have all gone a very different way, and it could have all gone very peak tongue. And so that trepidation of we're filming a show, it takes a couple of weeks to film, but... That journey you must have gone on of... We didn't film it because my birth mother wasn't ready for it because people didn't know that I existed. So actually, in a really good way, and I'm glad now that we didn't do it. I wanted to do it because I wanted to educate people about adoption and Mm -hmm. I felt it was quite an important journey to go on. I'd seen the success of it and I thought this was lovely. But when you actually drill down to it, I'm quite glad it never actually got to there. So all the research was done, all of that stuff. But then they asked, they find your parent, they ask them, are you happy to be seen on camera? And for her, it wasn't. And I respect that because, you know, you'll seen I've not put any pictures up of her or my family yet, because there's a lot of people who do not know yet about this relationship. And even for me, Mr. Big Mouth Public, put a posting everything on my social media for me to keep my t- mouth shut and not put any pictures or tell anyone, you know, this is the first time that I'm actually talking very candidly about it and about the mental issues it's brought up for me and also because of the impact it has on a lot of people not just me and my new family or my brother who is very important to me so your mum decided she didn't want to be on tv you then obviously do it behind the scenes what was that journey like because if the tv production company had gone right if she'd said yes tv production company were gone right we're filming on this date at this time da, 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 and you had no escape you had to just do it then and then from both sides so how did it differ when you had the details or she had the details of that contact process? Did it take a much longer time? It, you know, these can take two, three, four years, these things. Uh, so for us, you know, it took a year. I think it's very similar to the TV show when you you write each other letters. It's very old fashioned. You're telling each other, you know, it, it, for me, I literally had to come out to somebody I've never met. And tell them I was gay and married, and you know you're you're finding out things about each other and where do they live? I've got no idea where they live. You know you're sending again you, the information through a third party who then send it out. You know there's no contact whatsoever until you and your 
birth family decide that this is where you want to go because you know who knows who you are what you are or where you are so that process took you know a few more months you know a few pictures a little bit more then maybe a started to text and then build up and then you know like like the tv show we we met up in um a park and my husband dropped me off and my half sister dropped her off and we we met and it was emotional it was bizarre not because it's meeting a stranger but actually the closest person to you because they're your dna a lot of emotions and that you know it, i'm still going through all of it you know it's very early johnny it's very very it's not even been a year of knowing each other so it's a lot to take in a lot to deal with a lot mentally and just to process. I can't imagine what you went through to get to that journey and to keep going and kudos to you to keep going on it when, you know, it's sometimes better to not open that can of worms and have those questions and never find out the answers. Did you ever feel, because you had the letters and the pictures and because you had that back and forth communication, did you ever feel like, what if she doesn't like me? What if she's going to reject me now? Of course, you you have that all the time. And what if I've done something really bad? What if this is just going to be terrible? But actually, you know, they're amazing, beautiful people. So that would never have been the case. But obviously, that's in the back of your head. Obviously, you have, are you making a fool of yourself? Have you done the most stupid thing? Have you spent literally nights awake, days with anxiety I've never felt in my life before, headaches, kind of like going kind of crazy with anxiety and not really understanding, is this all worth it? Now I can tell you it's worth every single part of that because it's fantastic. But going through the process, no, I had no idea and I was very nervous. Do you wish you'd done it earlier, either when your adopted parents were alive or just in your 30s or your 40s, because to make up that time, because obviously now you're 50, yeah, it's kind of, of going to an extent, you know, I've got, I don't know how to say it, but you've got, I've got a few more say, years, 30 you know, years. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. you've had 50 years. No, I, d I don't think so, to be honest. I think this came at the right time. I think when you get to 50, it's a milestone in your head. I think when you have that kind of, not midlife crisis, but when you have maybe a bit, bit of an identity crisis and you have to think, right, what's going to be the next few years of my life and how is that going to play out? Things like this need to happen. I think prior to that, my memories of my my father, he died six years ago. So, you know, those memories are still very vivid for me. And my mother obviously died many more years ago, but that, her legacy lives on in everything I do. You know, the charity that I have, Star for Stroke, is, is about her. And that's still going on and, and getting bigger and bigger every year, which is very bizarre because the memory of her, my mum, is such a massive part of me. And now to have got a birth mother who it there's a lot there as well mentally that I have to negotiate do you accept why they gave you up for adoption you know 100% and I accept why I was put up for adoption I accept you know the situation that it uh, potentially was in and I'm just really respectful of that decision so age 50 on a scale of zero to hundred percent, how much do you accept yourself now, Nick? I'd say seventy-five percent. I'd say 
And what's that 25% that's missing? The 25% that's missing is still that imposter syndrome is still there. Very, very prevalent in my life. Should I be here? Do I deserve to be here? Why am I here? Am I still relevant? Should I be more relevant? What have I got to do before I die? What have I got to do before I get sick? I've got so much more I want to prove to myself and maybe to other people. So there's a lot of that, which I just don't think ever goes. But actually, in a weird way, I think it's kept me very young. It's kept me very motivated. It's kept me very on, you know, I'm on the zeitgeist of what's going on. You and I are both massive fans of the celebrity and brand and lifestyle culture. And I'm still obsessed with it. And I love it. And I think before I was really worried about getting older and not be and just be not be relevant. But actually what I've realized now is the older that you are, the more knowledge you have and actually the more relevance you actually have because you have that past that you can really mine in on. So I think all those things are that 25%. Other people would say, well, hold on a minute. If you were to tell your 14 year old self now of what you've achieved when it has been your coming out journey, your adopted journey, your grief journey, your parents, etc., that you've done such incredible things. However, it takes you to be that person to come within to say, look how amazing I am. And I honestly think that it's when you die, you realise that. I, don't, I still think that's why you have that hunger until you die. And, that, and when you die, it's because you've done all the jobs in the world. There's still more for you to do when it comes to stroke awareness. And that's why you've got that imposter syndrome, because you haven't solved all those issues yet. No, exactly. I, there's so much more I want to do. You know, I went and saw Madonna last week. And, you know, that's somebody who literally was on death's door, who's now 65 that's her stage age, um, you know, and who is absolutely fantastic and loving life. And I think what I love about television and I love about actors especially is that there's no like retirement for them. You can be Helen Mirren, you can be in McKellen, you can always, you can be in your 80s, Miriam Margulis. There's, Joan Collins is 90 and she's still doing these tours. And it's not because she needs the money, it's because she just loves it. It's keeping her young. And I want to be like that. You look at the Rolling Stones recently, you look at Bono, you know, you look at all those people. Okay, they're fantastic people and they're multimillionaires and super uber successful. But in your own little way, I love the fact that people do not retire and I'm never going to retire because it's always going to be something that inspires me and wants me to get out of bed and do something exciting. Oh, yeah. But you you yeah, you say that I disagree with you, my friend. Uh, our dear friend Meghan Markle retired, you know, great suits actress. <laughs> he retired. I can't let you go, mate, without giving you the space to talk about your royal update for the TikTok fans. For the TikTok and I just to give your latest verdict on Harry and Meghan, because every single person that loves the world always seems to have another update of their latest opinion week by week, even if they've not done anything, there's still another update. So what are you thinking this week? What am I thinking this week? I think Megan is going to come back and become a brand ambassador and bring back the TIG. I think she's going to do that. She's going to look at what Cordy Kardashian's done, look what um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow has done with Goop and Poosh and basically create her own kind of lifestyle platform. I think that's the best way forward for her. I think that, that you know, I you know I knew her when she first came over to the UK. I had her, we were good friends and I've always seen that passion she had for used, u- utilizing herself as a brand ambassador. Very, very altruistic person. I think she got caught up in a lot of what was going on with regards to the royal family. I think the uh, 
Apple thing was ridiculous and shouldn't she should not have done it. However, I think that they will redeem themselves if she just becomes a Hollywood celebrity, which she is. But when you look at a brand like Harry and Meghan, and when you look at, for example, you and I, who put mental health before the celebrity culture, and we always think mental health first, how do you feel about the way that Meghan and Harry have been treated through spare, through the weddings, through the funerals, and the Meg set, et cetera, et cetera? Because I always look at it like, I feel bad for them. I feel bad that, you know, King Charles hasn't had that conversation with Harry and accepts him as his son again. And I look at all this from a mental health angle and I see all the royal commentators always just trying to put them down. Where do you sit on that? Because you're a massive royalist, but yet... I love the royal family, but I also understand that mental health is extremely important. And I think, you know, what Harry has... You know, listen, Harry and William, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, but, you know, my mum died the same day as Prince Diana died. The same day. We are in a unique position where I was going through real grief, like they were going through real grief. However, the world was sad. It was the worst time. Obviously they were much younger than me and my brother, but we were still went through the same thing on the same day. And I had to watch Diana's die and her funeral was, my mother's funeral was postponed because of Diana's. You know, I've lived vicariously through these boys all my life to, to a fact that I actually have worked a lot with the Diana Award in Diana's name. You know, I've been on TV shows where I hosted for Canadian TV, the memorial for Diana when it was at the Wembley Arena. And people were saying, why are you so emotional? Because I was feeling emotional, you know, it was triggering me. So I understand that. And when you have that trauma, and when you have that immediate trauma, obviously theirs was on a plate on a massive scale, but mine was exactly the same in the fact that your mum's dead. Um, it changes you. And I think that both of them are particularly damaged. I think that Megan has been a shining, guiding, compassionate light in his life and helped him using um, mental health as a way of helping other people be more open. And the royal family, as we know, is extremely closed. And, you know, when never complain, never explain, you know, that may sound like a really great thing to have a stiff upper lip, but you know what? If you look at it this way, nowadays, we're, you know, we're talking about adoption today. Nowadays, people talk about adoption with their child from day one. I was told when I was 14. Now, if I'd been told from day one, I would maybe be very different from how I am today because I've been able to, verbalize it articulate it literally from day one so i wouldn't have people saying i'm a liar i wouldn't have people saying oh you're being fake i wouldn't have imposter syndrome because i'd be go i'm a child from adoption done and so what i think about prince harry and Meghan is if they can help one person have a better understanding of their mental health through what they do and how they explain it and how they articulate themselves then that has to be a positive Nick Eid, I can't thank you enough for being so candid, so open on National Adoption Week and telling your journey in your words and showing us that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you, my mate. I really do appreciate it. You've been watching or listening to Skinning Skin with me, Johnny C. If you like what you heard, please do go and rate the podcast, subscribe to it, give a five-star rating, tell a friend, and let's keep spreading the word. It's okay to not be okay. On TikTok, at Johnny C. 92. On Instagram, at Johnny C. At Skinning Skin Podcast. And on Twitter, at Johnny C. Thank you so much for watching or listening to Skinning Skin. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.